0: Amen. Well, welcome, everyone, and it's great to be with you again here. Uh, we are broadcasting from Institut Biblique du Québec. I'm just going to pull up my presentation here so I can see what I'm doing. We are broadcasting from Institut Biblique du Québec in the city of Longueuil, So kind of our Bible college to continue to uh, provide this place for us. And uh, so it's great to be with you today. I'm just going to get my stuff arranged here. Thank you so much to Iggy and Sean uh, and Viano for leading us today. And uh, it was joy to sing with them and hope it sounded good. We are working really hard on uh, the sound and all of that for our internet audience because you are the only audience today. Uh, So I hope it sounds good, and I'd invite you to communicate with us, all right? So my wife is on Facebook right now, and so you can use the comments section, visit with one another. I'm going to be asking you some questions today so that you can participate along with us. Don't change the channel. I know there's so many churches that are online right now, you know, and you you could flip around and no one would know. Uh, But stay with us, all right? Uh, I'm going to talk about some things today that you'll probably be able to share with people who are not Christian at all, people who are skeptics, uh, as we talk about peace and uh, this whole Advent season that we are in, okay? If you are with us for the very first time today, you just joined the feed somehow, somebody shared something with you, you just discovered us somehow. Uh, please uh, uh, reach out to me. You can uh, uh, text us at 514-9000-130 and just use the key phrase, reach the one. And if you do that, uh, I will send you a little something that you're going to enjoy in your email inbox, and you'll also get all of the announcements and all the various goings-on of our church right to your phone or your email client, Okay. So uh, if you will do that, that will be great. I'm just going to put my phone somewhere over here so it stays within reach of everything. Good. And visit us online at citypointchurch.ca. Some of you are watching uh, uh, through our website as well. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I'll mention our missionaries, as I do every Sunday, Michel and Louis Charbonneau in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and Don and Marie-José Mann. Uh, who are preparing to head overseas, and uh, they're going to be teaching leadership all around the world. So thank you for uh, supporting them. We have continued to support our missionaries throughout the pandemic, and that's because of you. It doesn't happen without you and your giving. Thank you for giving to the food bank. There is uh, uh, more than enough uh, to support uh, many, many families that are coming in there. So thank you so much for doing that. Uh, We get new families every week over at Mission Nouvelle Génération. And because I work there a couple of days a week, we've got this great partnership going. So thank you so much for that. This week, we're going to deliver 20 gift boxes to Good Shepherd Elementary School. You'll see a picture on the screen from last year. And uh, so a lot of good food in there, good Christmas snacks. And I'm going to put a little note in there to tell people who we don't even know uh, that we care about them enough to prepare a nice gift basket for them and make them feel significant at the Christmas season and no cost to them, no catch, no nothing. And so we're so glad to be able to do that. Thank you for supporting uh, that need. Now, I've got something else for you. Uh, If you know me at all, I, I enjoy motivating people to give and uh, especially in this season, and I found something that you can give to uh, this week, even today. And some of you may know this already, a Tuesday is what they call Giving Tuesday. And Giving Tuesday uh, is kind of building momentum over the last couple of years, and it's, it challenges people to give to various charities. I think it's the first of December. And I received uh, some communication from our national office, Uh, regarding something that ERDO, which is Emergency Relief and Development Overseas, it's kind of the humanitarian arm of our movement, one of the top 25 charities in Canada. Uh, They are doing something that's going to be really, really powerful, uh, and they're highlighting the nation of Yemen. And I'll put it on the screen so that you can see it. Uh, Okay, the guys here... Techies can't see, but I can see it on my screen, and you can see it on home. Okay. So uh, you see where the nation of Yemen is there, and it's in a terrible, terrible uh, crisis. Um, Famine is declared when four in every 10,000 children die of starvation each day. And Yemen is on the brink of declaring famine, according to the United Nations. the healthcare system is crumbling. It has one of the highest mortality rates for uh, COVID 19 in the entire world. It's a ridiculous percentage of uh, uh, fatalities, there percentage wise. Um, and the pandemic only makes it worse for people to find food. So, with your donation, you can help some of over 1,000 families live in an active conflict zone with six months of food. So, let me break it down to you. Uh, the Canadian Food Grains Bank is matching five times uh, your donation for what's called Giving Tuesday. So uh, I'm pretty sure they're only going to do this for the Tuesday itself. So you can give today, and I will uh, donate all of the money to them that we received through CityPoint right to Erdo today, and it'll be designated for Giving Tuesday. You can give it straight to us. We just transfer it to them. Uh, You can mark on your electronic gift Yemen. For the techies who are here, I did bring the machine, so I'm going to tempt you as well to give. Uh, Let me give you some more detail here. So um, $22 feeds a single person in Yemen for one month. Can you imagine? So every dollar that you give is matched five times. So if you donate $22... You're going to feed six people in Yemen for one month because it's multiplied five times over by the Canadian Food Grains Bank. So that's a fantastic uh, blessing that you get to be a part of. Uh, You can find more information at Erdo's website, erdo.ca. If you want to give it straight to them, you can give it straight to them. But I'm pretty sure you have to do it by the limit of Tuesday. You can't do this Wednesday because the Canadian Food Grains Bank is matching on that day itself. So everything you give today up to Tuesday is going to be matched. So again, you can do it through us, through our website, or an e-transfer. Just go to our website and click the Give page. Uh, Write in your note there, your electronic note, Yemen, and I will know that where it goes and be able to forward it to uh, Erdo immediately, okay? Or you can just do it straight through Erdo's website, but make sure you don't do it any later than Tuesday, and we can be a blessing here in Canada uh, to the people in uh, Yemen, okay? Okay. Yes. All right. So I hope you're tracking with me on the slides there. I'm a little bit blind on our big screen here. Another announcement for you regarding uh, Christmas. So this is a surprise that I sent out to people. Uh, via our, our email and our text system, and it's, it's pretty full already. What we're doing is called Voices of Christmas, and this is a, we're streaming a presentation that was created in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in the U.S., and uh, over there at sight and sound theaters in lancaster they do nothing but bible productions and uh, they have created this thing called voices of christmas just loaded with music and acting it's a live uh, stage production that they uh, they did for years and years over there and what they're doing is they're making this available now via stream and so we are going to present it at the movie theater where we usually meet uh, but can't meet because it's closed However, the, the theater has made special arrangements for us as a church to be able to go there. And so we are going to meet there on the 5th, which is this coming Saturday. Again, this is not open to the public uh, because theaters are closed. Uh, but we can go there because we're doing this as a church. It's a 25-seat limit per uh uh, screening. So last time I checked, there was only two seats left in the 1 p.m. If we can put that on the screen so people can see it on the screen at home. Yeah, so there's two seats left at the 1 p.m. and 14 left at the 3 Oh, sorry, nine. As of this morning, there's nine left for the 3 p.m. So if you like Christmas music and you want to learn some of the traditions of Christmas and where those things came from, Uh, This is an amazing performance, and I have not seen this one yet, but I've seen about six different ones from sight and sound, and the quality is like Broadway. So uh, you're really going to enjoy it. We're going to have coffee and tea and popcorn, and the theater has made arrangements to serve it to us individual by individual at the concession stand it's all included this is going to be a blessing for you a free event for you Uh, yes you can invite friends they do have to register through our website at citypointchurch.ca the slots are there we have everyone's name registration will be taken attendance will be taken so it's very very safe for you it's a large room seats 200 but we can only have 225 at one time So uh, it's probably going to fill up. So if you want to uh, come and enjoy, get out of the house a little bit and at the same time be in a safe environment and get into the Christmas mode, this will definitely put your soul into Christmas, okay? That's going to be this coming Saturday, 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. at Cineplex Distante in Brossard, okay? So we are in our series Rediscover Christmas, which is uh, an Advent series. And by Advent, uh, we mean coming or presence. This is a tradition uh, that many churches have celebrated for centuries. And the idea of Advent is that you take some time to focus on what it would be like to be back there 2,000 years ago and to be awaiting the coming of the Messiah and then to experience the him and to see him born and as a little baby. And we call that the first advent, the first coming of Jesus. And when we talk about advent, that's what we're thinking about, the presence, the coming of Jesus, not only then, but what is to come in the future at the second coming. And you'll hear me talk about that uh, a lot in our in our church, and I'll talk about it today As well. So, this is a Christmas series, an Advent series, and today we're going to cover the subject of peace. Last week it was hope. And remember, last week we talked about 2020, you know, the year out of a sci fi movie. And you've got all these things going on in the year twenty twenty, and I could I could get into some of the details, right? You get the fires and the floods and the worldwide pandemic and all that's related to that economic collapse and so on, you know, right down to these two-inch hornets that they found in the in the state of Washington and in British Columbia. They look like they're out of the image of the book of Revelation or something. I mean, it's been this crazy, crazy year, and in this year. It's a great time to rediscover the message of Christmas. So we covered hope last week, today is peace, and then we'll do joy and love, and then we'll do uh, a message specifically about Jesus. So uh, another question for you, and we did one last week, I want to do one now, and you can use the panel, the comment section on Facebook to respond to this. Uh, The question is, who in the original Christmas story, okay, I'm not talking about uh, some nice Christmas movie that you'll watch on Netflix. I'm talking about the original Christmas story that you'll find in the Gospels in the New Testament from Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 1, and Luke chapter 2. And I'll give you a break. You don't even have to read the genealogy. Of Matthew chapter one, you can. If you don't like that, you can skip over it, and you'll still get the gist of the Christmas story. So you could literally read the Christmas story, the original Christmas story, in about ten minutes uh, from the Bible's New Testament. So I have a question for you, and I'd really like you to try and figure this one out: Who in the original Christmas story? from Matthew and Luke, who in the original Christmas story is listed for us, but is not named. So last week it was, can you name anybody from the Christmas story? You did really well in that. But who in that story is mentioned, but their names are not mentioned? Okay, that's the question that I'd like you to try and respond to. And as they come in, you uh, I'll I'll receive him on my phone as well okay who in the original christmas story is not named now uh, as you're doing that this is the question that I want to wrestle with as we talk about peace where is the quote unquote peace on earth because we talk about that at christmas time and we say well peace on earth Yet something within us cries out, even a hymn writer, an old hymn writer, wrote a a great hymn, uh, there is no peace on earth, I said, uh, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to man. So if the coming of Jesus was supposed to bring peace on earth, where is it? I mean, look at the year 2020. Do you see any peace on earth in 2020? Not much, you could argue. So if you're a skeptic, if you have a friend who's a skeptic, who's you know open-minded to talk about Christianity, but definitely would say, you know, you you folks are believing something that really is hard to believe. Because if your Jesus brought peace on earth, we don't see much of it. Can you explain that to me? Here someone's come in with the innkeeper, and uh, that's a, a, an interesting guess. Um, the innkeeper, there is no innkeeper uh, named in, in the, uh, the, the narratives. In fact, it doesn't even talk about an innkeeper at all. It, all it says is that there was no room in the inn. And so uh, Jesus was not born there, and we're not even sure what an inn was. Uh, One thing it wasn't was a hotel, okay? Some people, when they see that that passage, um, I'm I'm just going to flip there, uh, from Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, they think that the inn is some kind of little days inn or Motel 6 or something, and, you know, all these people were going to Bethlehem for the census, and, you know, all the little inns were full, and so there was no room in the inn, and the innkeeper said, sorry, but the, there is no innkeeper mentioned at all, uh, and so we're not real sure what to do with that, okay? Uh, let me just see... Um uh, where the innkeeper, the innkeeper. Uh, where is he? I think he's in Matthew. Anyway, wherever he is, I can find him in a few minutes, but wherever he is, he's not mentioned at all. Uh, what we do know about inns and about there was no room in the inn is probably that's referring to a first century home, and a first century home had two levels to it. And you would put the animals actually in the home on the ground floor and people would sleep on the top floor. And they would put the animals in the ground floor because they wouldn't want them to be hurt by the elements or even stolen at night. So they placed him in a manger after he was born because there was no room in the inn. I found it Luke chapter 2 Verses 6 and 7, while they were there, this is at Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. A manger is a cow trough. It's a stone uh, mortar uh, mix that you would, you would uh, create this kind of trough so that animals could eat out of it. So she placed him in a manger, clue for us somewhere where there's animals because there was no room for them in the inn on the second floor. Some say, others say, this could be speaking about a cave. Uh, But anyway, all to say, where's the innkeeper? Nowhere. So uh, wise men, excellent response. Whoever came up with that, yes, they are not named. And there are not necessarily three of them. Uh, we have a tradition that says that there's three of them, but there's probably more than three, and we have no clue what their names were from the New Testament. Uh, shepherds, now you're really, you're really right where I want you to be. The shepherds are not named, and we're going to take a look at them today. And as well, the angel and angels that appear to the shepherds are not named. So very good guesses from all. We're going to look at this whole um, event where these shepherds experience this visitation from these angels as we try and wrestle with this question. Where is the peace on earth? This is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. I'm going to read the whole passage because it's it's one of the most beautiful passages in the entire Bible. In those days, Caesar Augustus, that's the emperor, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, under which Judea and so on were under the oppression of Rome. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. A little detail that Luke drops in there. And everyone went to his own town to register. So off go Mary and Joseph. Verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. Now, Judea is actually south of Nazareth, but you have to go upwards and travel up a hill, and that's why it says up instead of down. So he goes up from uh, Nazareth to Judea, In Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. This is standard Jewish custom. Young couples would be betrothed or pledged to be married. It was essentially a legal marriage, but they had not come together yet. They had not begun living together. They would wait until a marriage ceremony would take place before they did that. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. In case you're doing the math on that, she's pregnant before the actual wedding awkward. We'll get into that shortly. And she gave birth to her firstborn. A son wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds, this unnamed group of folks living out in the fields nearby. That's what shepherds did and keeping watch over their flocks at night. Shepherds, were basically kind of your blue-collar folks of the day. They lived outside. They lived in the fields. Their job was to protect and to care for the flocks of animals, mostly sheep. Shepherding has a long history in the Bible. You go all the way back to the patriarchs from the book of Genesis, and you've got shepherds there. Uh, And they're watching over their sheep you see a whole uh, um, history of people who were shepherds in the Bible because these people were mostly nomadic. So they were taking care of animals a lot, and sheeps were very important uh, sheep because they would be used for the sacrifices at the temple. Uh, What did David say in the famous psalm that many of you know? The Lord is my Shepherd. So God is identified as a shepherd. Jesus says that He is the great shepherd of the sheep. Here you have these shepherds, but they were really kind of like the low life, blue collar uh, uh, on the social class of the first century. They were always in a state of spiritual uncleanliness because they lived outside and they're always with the animals. Sometimes they would be perceived negatively uh, because they would steal sometimes the some of the animals that they were in charge of. Uh, and so these are very, very common folk. I liken them today uh, to roofers. Uh, if you ever have your roof done or you ever watch roofers, roofers are very uh, they have an interesting reputation. They're very common folk. You know, they're laboring outside. They're always outside. And people kind of look at roofers a little sideways. They don't always trust them. They don't always trust their work. So you can think of these shepherds almost like you could as modern-day roofers, all right? And so they're the ones who this angelic, uh, massive amount of angels were about to read appears to at night. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord, unnamed, this is not necessarily Gabriel, we don't know who this was, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, in that old English, and they were terrified, scared out of their minds by what they saw. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. (laughs) That's all they're told. And then suddenly... A great company, the Greek language there uh, suggests thousands upon thousands, a great company of the heavenly host, this is a, a, a massive amount of angels that's being described here, appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Where is the peace is the question. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. After all, that's what we were told to do, to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying right there in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned back to their station, watching their flocks. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told." That's the account. Now, before we get into the answer to the question, I know what some of you are thinking. And it's good that you're thinking what you're thinking. You're reading this narrative, and you're saying, oh, yeah, it's ringing some bells. We read this on Christmas Eve, and we gather around the tree, and we read this story. But but really, your brain is saying to, to you kind of privately, and you're having all these, these things going on in your head while someone's reading this story. And you're saying, how am I supposed to believe that there's this angel and these angels. And for that matter, look at the whole Christmas story. I mean, it's filled with all these things, angels. And, a, I mean, okay, we've got to deal with a virgin birth, like Jesus was born of a woman who was a virgin. You've got all these miraculous things that are told to us in the Gospels. How are we really supposed to believe this? So you can look at it this way, and I'll put it on your screen. You know, you've got the announcement to the shepherds, and I put that in yellow, and that's real easy to believe in the sense of I can believe in shepherds. Real easy. Shepherds existed back then. We know it from the time. We know it from the history and the culture. Okay, I'll say that there were shepherds, no problem. I can easily envision them. They're the roofers of, of the day. Okay, fine. That's easy to believe. But on the other side, I'm expected to believe in angels and that angels visited these shepherds. Thousands of angels visited these shepherds. And I can see some of the young people who are watching this. You're at CJEP University High School, and you're, you're like, what's the difference between that and Santa Claus? Really, isn't this just the same kind of thing? Isn't this just a really, really nice, beautiful, elegant story? I mean, how am I expected to really believe that these things existed? And this is sort of the elephant in the room when it comes to the Christmas story. It is filled with these supernatural things. So how are you expected to believe it? Before you answer the question, where is the peace on earth? What about this? What are we supposed to do with it? And while this is a subject for another day, uh, let me give you a real condensed answer. And again, those of you, you've got friends who you're having conversations with about Christianity and they have a real problem with believing these things, maybe you're a young person and you're struggling in your faith with this whole idea of, you know, the miracles. I've got to believe in these things. I'm not sure that I do. I'm growing up now. I, I, when I was a kid, it was no problem, but I've tasted and I've watched the world a little bit, and it doesn't seem to coincide with what I'm reading in the Bible. And all these people are telling me that this isn't true anyway, etc., etc. So you want to share this? You can share this. I'm just going to give you a real condensed argument here because I've gone on a long, long journey uh, to make this really, really simple for you. When we read the Christmas story, and we read the whole New Testament for that matter, and even the whole Bible, but I'll just stick to the New Testament, we've got a real conundrum on our hands. If you approach the New Testament, if you approach Christmas and you want to rediscover Christmas as it originally was, and you have this issue with the miraculous and with the virgin birth and with the angels and with the Holy Spirit and with an angel appearing to Joseph in a dream and all of that, you have real, real problems with this. You have a major conundrum on your hands if you're going to persist in unbelief let me tell you why. The writers of this story and the writers of the New Testament are very intentional in setting this story in a real world, in a real context that we can check. So we can check on the shepherds to see if they really existed. And it's easy. There's plenty in the history books to tell us who the shepherds were, how they lived, and all of that. But then we look at angels. So we say, "Okay, we're going to keep the shepherds, but we're going to throw out the angels. But we have to do that with a whole lot of things, because we can verify instance after instance, sometimes minute little insignificant details of the story of Christmas and of the whole New Testament as being correct. So, you know, I read about Caesar Augustus and the census and Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and you'll read about Herod the Great, and you'll read about uh, 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 Pontius Pilate, you know, when you get to the crucifixion, and Caiaphas, the high priest, and you'll read about all these figures and customs and times and politics and culture, and all of those things, we must ruefully admit that the writers of the New Testament got it right even if we're a skeptic, we have to give them this. We have to say, well, they're right about Augustus. They're right about Herod the Great. I mean, he's acting entirely in character when he goes to slaughter all the babies in Bethlehem. He's acting entirely in character with what we know from him, about him, from the history books. And there's detail after detail that is mentioned for us, uh, one after the other, and it's, it's uncanny how some of the most insignificant details we can corroborate so what we, we it begins to put us in a corner if we're going to persist in unbelief because we have to admit well whoever wrote this got the context right they got the history right they even got the geography right they got the customs the traditions they got all that right but then we got to deal with angels and miracles so here's the three options that you have if you're going to persist in unbelief, if you're approaching the New Testament, not from a religious perspective, from a historical perspective, as a, in a very sober way, if you're going to approach it that way, from a very intellectual way, you're going to approach it that way and say, I have no faith whatsoever, convince me. The first thing you're going to struggle with is, wow, wow. They're right on a lot of these little cultural details. Fascinating. Okay. But of course they're wrong about angels and miracles and virgin birth and all those things. It's impossible. Those things don't happen today. So there's a problem. Okay. You've got three. I put my little fingers up. You've only got three options if you're going to persist in unbelief. Option number one, the story that you're reading today is not the original story. Stories changed. So it says angels, it says virgin birth, it wasn't written that way. Some zealous folks put that in and copied it over years and years and years, and now we read it today and say, oh, virgin birth, angels, but it wasn't in the original at all. So that, uh, that is to say nobody knows what's in the original. We have this, this is an embellishment. It's all been forced into the text. That is the easiest to refute the easiest of your three choices because if you if you look into it you'll see that the the evidence that we have for the transmission of what we read here in the gospels and what we read in the new testament what we read in the christmas story the transmission shows that nothing changed in fact we can go all the way back to the beginning we can build a chain all the way back and prove that these stories were written within the lifetime of the contemporaries of the events. And that there's so much of this being preached on in the early, early church in the first, second, third centuries of Christianity. We don't even need the New Testament. All we need is the preaching of the early church and we can rebuild the whole story from scratch. And it's exactly what. What we read today. So if you're going to go with this thing of, well, the natural part of the story is right, the miraculous is wrong, because it's been inserted into the text, you have no case at all. Zero way to prove it, to use a modern illustration from politics your case would be thrown out of court, okay? There's a certain world leader who's having that experience right now, and that's because of a lack of evidence. Here, if you want to talk about transmission, it's a closed case. And there's no skeptic in the world when considering the evidence, they would ruefully admit, okay, Your text hasn't changed. Very, very strong case can be made. Your second argument, if you're going to throw the angels out of this story and try and keep the natural part, is, look, these people were simple people who wrote this down. And what they did was, it wasn't really angels that they saw. They looked up into this starry night. They had a mirage. They saw some clouds. They were really enthusiastic. And so it's written down as a great company of the heavenly hosts. But if we were there, we looked up at the sky, the best we would see is maybe a UFO, <laughs> you know. But this is a this is an exaggeration is what it is because he's a simple, foolish folk who wrote this down, your argument is very weak there as well, because if you actually read the Gospels and you read the New Testament, you see that these people who wrote this story down are actually quite sober. And in many cases, they themselves refuse to believe certain things. So, for example, the famous story of when Jesus rose from the dead, you have a guy named Thomas. And Thomas said, I refuse to believe unless I see the guy's nail prints and put my hand in his side where the the spear went in. I will not believe. In fact, most of the people, after Jesus had risen from the dead, did not believe it. They had to be very, very convinced in order to cross the line and believe in the resurrection. So if these people were exaggerating, man, there's an awful lot of exaggeration that they have to do in many, many, many places. And yet at the same time, they record their own sobriety their own doubt, their own skepticism at times about the things that they saw and the things that they experienced. And even more so, this is being circulated, this information, in a hostile environment. Under Roman oppression, the early church exploded onto the scene with the New Testament being being. Uh, copied so quickly that even, even Rome was challenged by the explosion of the early church and what they had to do to keep the movement under control. So exaggeration, very, very weak argument as well. You've got one more that you can use if you're going to throw the angels out of this story, and that is that the folks lied. And that is Luke is a liar uh, he put this in to create the idea that Jesus is God. This is all an elaborate um, uh, a scheme foist on the minds of men by some really smart writers in the first century who put this together to build a movement to give people hope to make Jesus into God because Jesus was just a man. And so this is all a very elaborate lie. It's a concoction, it's a conspiracy, it's QAnon in the first century. I mean, it's a big hoax, it's a big lie. That also is a horrendous argument, because all of these people who wrote this down were persecuted for a lie then, and they died for a lie, for what they knew was false which you never see. You see people will be persecuted and and killed for what they believe to be true and may be false, but nobody dies for what they know to be false. Those are your three arguments. The truth be told, if you're going to reject all of this miraculous stuff in the Christmas story and think of it as being like Santa Claus, the reason that you are doing that, my friend, has nothing to do with history. The reason you are doing that is not based on any argument out of the history of the New Testament or the events that took place that are recorded in the New Testament. You're, you have, it has nothing to do with that. The reason why you're throwing out the supernatural is because you have a personal bias against the supernatural. That's why. Because you approach the text and you say miracles are impossible because I say they're impossible. It's not because of what history is telling you. It's because of what you're telling yourself. And that's a philosophical thing that you bring to the Bible when you read the Bible. The problem with that argument, in saying that miracles don't exist, is you have no proof of that. You can prove that you've never experienced a miracle, perhaps. But you, you cannot at all prove that these people in the first century didn't, and for that matter, that people in the modern age never do. All you have is your own personal experience, which leads to your own personal bias against the miraculous. That's not the Bible's problem. That's yours and mine, okay? So I'm going to give Luke the benefit of the doubt when he writes about the angels. Let's get to the question, where is the peace on earth? The announcement, I'll give you a few observations as we answer it. The announcement of peace that we see here comes very unexpectedly. And peace often happens like that when it's the peace of God that you experience. And there is a very different definition of peace when you look into the Bible Uh, and compare that to the way that the world and the culture defines peace. The two are very, very different, and you'll see why in a few minutes. This announcement made to these shepherds is very unexpected. So if if perhaps we were going to concoct a story about God becoming man and entering into the world and so on, why would we have him appear And why would we have the announcement made by a massive amount of angels to a bunch of roofers, to a bunch of shepherds? Wouldn't we rather have that announcement made in a more regal and more powerful and more persuasive manner? I mean, even the word of a shepherd was, here you have shepherds running around telling people something. Shepherds weren't trusted. So why, why would it be that way? Why would God choose to communicate that message that way to those people? Very, very unexpected and strange. And for that matter, there are so many details about the Christmas story, as you read it in Luke 1 and 2, Matthew 1 and 2, that are totally bizarre, totally strange, totally awkward, and totally unexpected. And oftentimes, this is the way that the peace of God works. It comes at unexpected times, even though uh, you you can't. There's there's certain things that you can do as a follower of Christ to experience His peace. There are still times when that peace comes unexpectedly. And that's because the peace of God, as I mentioned before, is not the same. As when we talk about peace in a general sense, all right, uh, it's a it's a type of peace that transcends logic and transcends understanding. Uh, I'm going to read to you from a passage out of Philippians that describes this uh, well. Uh, this is Paul's writing to the church in uh, in Philippi. If I can find Philippians. <laughs> In my Bible here, just flipping over, this is from Philippians chapter 4 and verses 4 to 7, all right? Listen to the way that he defines peace. Rejoice in the Lord always. We'll talk about joy later on in our series. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Wow, talk about a recipe for the year 2020. Do not be anxious about everything, uh, about anything, but in everything, present it to God. There's a recipe for your mental and spiritual health right there. But what happens when you do that? Verse 7, and the peace of of God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It, it, it's greater than your logic. It's greater than your intellect. It transcends all of that. It transcends all understanding. I would go so far as to say it even defies understanding. This peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace of God. Uh, I have seen uh, it many times. Uh, in In pastoral ministry, where I've run into people and tried to be an encouragement to people who were going through very, very tough moments in life. Often they've lost loved ones or they get a diagnosis from a doctor of a terminal disease or something. and you sit down with them and you want to try and encourage them, pray for them, Uh, give them hope, and so on, and the reverse happens. You meet a person, and by all logic, by all natural understanding, by all cultural definition, that person should be in chaos. That person should be in turmoil. That person should be stressed out of their mind, and yet they're very peaceful. Yet there's a tranquility about them because they've done exactly what Philippians 4 says to do. They've taken that anxiety and they've brought it to God. And they say, God, I give it to you. Prayer, petition, even thanksgiving, I present my request to you. And what happens when they transfer all of that stuff over to God is that that peace of God comes. And again, sometimes it comes very surprisingly. Uh, There's a lady in our church, I won't won't name her because we're streaming uh, right now. There's a lady in our church who just got a diagnosis, not a good diagnosis. And I talked to her on the phone as others have in the church and prayed for her and so on. You know, she has a remarkable peace about her when really all these things are kind of caving in on her. Remarkable peace and kind of tranquility about the whole thing. And that's what happens when it's God's peace and not the culture's peace necessarily, but God's peace. You say, well, that doesn't answer the question, where is the peace on earth? Okay, (laughs) we're getting there. Uh, That's because... Peace, again, when you look into the pages of the Bible, peace first and foremost is is not found uh, by having um, uh, all of your needs met in life and by having a nice, happy, and comfortable, and uh, stress-free life. This is not the way the Bible defines peace at all. The way the Bible defines it is it is found... By you, by me, in a person. And that person is Jesus. And that, by the way, is the only way, according to the New Testament, that you can actually experience God's peace is in a personal relationship with Jesus. And he gives you that peace to walk through even the most horrendous circumstances in life. So uh, Paul words it this way to the church in, in Rome, Romans chapter 5 uh, and verse 1. You see it on your screen there. He's teaching them the whole message of Jesus dying on the cross and what that does for humanity. And he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we... Have peace with God. No longer at war with our creator. No longer with our back up against God. We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ and specifically his death on the cross. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. My friend, when you have peace with your creator, that's the first thing that you want. It's not a happy, tranquil life that you need first and foremost. What you need is to be at peace with God. When you're at peace with God, you start to become at peace with yourself. When you're at peace with God, you become at peace with yourself and you become at peace with others. People, your relationships with people change, your understanding of yourself changes because you have finally found peace with your creator, no longer at war with him. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, uh, before his death, this is his last kind of words to his disciples, and they're so powerful and so true for today. Uh, So John chapter 14, verse, um, I'll start at verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, and we mentioned uh, this a few weeks ago, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Watch this, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Where is the peace on earth is the question. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The definition of peace is not the same. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I'm leaving you, but I'm leaving you peace. Say what? Well, John chapter 16, verse 33. A time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Peace In this world, you will have trouble, yet take heart, I have overcome the world. Clearly, the peace that he is talking about is a peace that starts on the inside of the person, and it can even take place when there's no peace around you. Because he's saying, there's going to be trouble. (laughs) Trouble is coming. But I have said these things to you so that you will have peace. And yet the very next words in this world, you will have trouble. So you can have peace with God, experience the peace of Jesus, even in a world that is not peaceful. You say, well, you still haven't answered the question, where is the peace on earth? Well, if you go back to where that comes from and it's right from our original our original passage there from Luke chapter 2, look closely at what the angels say. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. That's very that's a very important part of the passage. Because the implication is there are some who are going to experience that peace, and there are some who are not. It's those on whom his favor rests. Question, does the favor of God rest on you? The implication behind this is those that open their heart toward the Savior, toward the baby, In the manger, those who open their hearts toward him have the favor of God on their lives. Those who don't, implication, do not. (laughs) And so what what do we see on planet Earth? We see exactly what Jesus described, a world in trouble and yet the opportunity to experience the peace of God even in this world, in trouble. So the promise of the angels was not, well, now the baby has come, there's going to be immediate global peace on planet Earth. Case closed. No, the case wasn't closed then. The case was not eaten, was, was just opening then with the birth of Jesus. The case will finally close at the second coming. Of Jesus. So you want peace on earth in a global sense? Are you sure that that's what you want? Because what the Bible describes about global peace on earth is that Jesus will return. There will be a time of judgment on this world. And then there will be a global peace and a world without sin, and a world without destruction, a world without conflict, A world without death, a world without evil, a world without sin. This is why we celebrate Advent. This is why we think about Advent. It's not only the first coming of Christ, it's the second coming of Christ. So be careful when we make this charge against God and say, Well, God, you must not exist because where are you today? Look at the war and the conflict on this planet. My friend, he is right in front of you, and he is waiting for you to open your heart to him and to experience his peace in your life as an individual. That, again, changes your whole relationship with God, changes your relationship with yourself. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy, and it changes your relationship with others. That's what the church is. When you have a community of people who come together around the person of Jesus, you have relationships that form, and those relationships should be different than the way that the culture and the world does it. Why? Because we've experienced the peace of God. So my question to you as we finish up here, and maybe Sean and, um, and Viano, if you guys want to go and play something uh, softly in the background there, that, that O Come, O Come, Emmanuel was so good today. That's a beautiful old Christmas carol. Uh, but whatever you want, you guys want to play. Um, my question to you as we finish up today, do you have the peace of God? Do you have the favor of God on your life? And there's a very, very simple way to experience the favor of God. You have to open yourself to Him. You have to say, you have to have a posture of surrender to God. Uh, The way that John puts it in John chapter 1, he makes it very, very uh, simple. Uh, he was in the world. John chapter one, verse ten. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who received him, have you received Christ today? That's the question. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, have you believed in Jesus? You don't have to know everything, but have you believed in him, that he came, that he was God, and that he died for your sin? He gave the right to become children of God you can have that experience today of becoming God's child and inheriting his favor and experiencing his So I'm going to pray a very, very simple prayer. And if you want to pray this prayer, something along those lines, right there where you are in your home, you can experience the peace of God, even in the year 2020. So God, I come to you. I don't understand everything. I'm not even sure that I believe everything. But I know that I have no peace in my life. And God, I just open my heart to you. And I ask Jesus that you would come into my life. I receive you into my life, into my soul, even at this moment. So God, if you're real, I surrender myself to you. Forgive me for my sin and cleanse me and make me into your child today. Amen. You prayed that prayer or you prayed something like it, you're going to start to see changes in your life, some quickly and some slowly, but I'd like you to reach out to me if you have done that. Uh, You can contact me through our website or through Facebook. You'll see all my information is there. Uh, So I'd love to follow up your decision today. Remember on Saturday the event at Cineplex Distant that we are doing. You'll find all the information on our website. I really enjoy this Christmas carol. So I am going to join with the band and sing it with them. And then we will finish up and close the stream. God bless you, everyone. Have a wonderful Sunday today.
1: Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, oh. Verse three <laughs> oh, come thou wisdom from Cause us in ways to go Rejoice, rejoice Emmanuel Shall come to the O Israel Rejoice, rejoice Shall come to the O Israel. Shall come to the O Israel. Shall come to the O Israel.
0: God bless you, everyone.